Hello and welcome, dear listeners. Pour yourself a glass of Siamese vodka, take a Japanese bath and prepare yourself for our latest podcast. Yes, we have now reached the stage in our Connery series where we overanalyze You Only Live Twice, although we will try and keep any discussion about our respective chest hair to a minimum. Um, I am Gary Andrews, co-host of The Odd Job Pod, and joining as ever is Graham Sibley. Hello, Graham. Hello, Gary. And Terry DeFellin. Hello, sure. Terry. Hello, Gary. That, that vocal was uh, stirred and, and not shaken. I did get it right, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah, I, you would be entitled to make a face, but then, you know, would you turn down a Don Perignon 59? No, no, certainly if it was being uh, offered to me by a chest as healthy as Karen Dawes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. So, um, I mean, this... This feels like it's a note that is appropriate to start a discussion if you only live twice on. Um, which is- And I don't, I wouldn't say I love it despite its flaws, but I wouldn't say I love it because of its flaws. Uh, I just love it. And it wouldn't be the first film that I would show to someone. It wouldn't be the first film that I would pick to say, watch this James Bond film. I think you'll love it. Because there are so many things in it that, for someone completely new to the franchise would would look at it and they really uh, and they made 25 of these <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> really? <laughs> um, so I, I i but for me personally i there it is a very difficult thing it is it for, for me to, to to sit down and say oh yeah i know that 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 all that that lump there yeah that's 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 terrible but Yo, no, you, I just love it anyway. I, I just do. This, this is a wonderful film, but I, I'm not gonna, gonna, gonna stand up and shout down anyone who has, who, who points out that this is actually quite poor. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be an interesting um, next hour, I think. But um, Terry, starting with something that's relatively like obvious is that in up to. Probably Thunderball was where we moved from a a very kind of spy genre that obviously was kind of ramping it up, whereas Thunderball kind of still was, was in a lot of that. But I think it's possibly fair to say that You Only Live Twice, you would classify very fully as an action movie, given the um, the sheer body count in this film must run into quite a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly the climax does take on the proportions of of a war movie almost uh, towards the end of it, uh, it, where it has a huge set piece battle sequence and a very, very high body count. But I mean, you know, in fairness, you know, people are dropping like flies throughout throughout this movie through various imaginative and some not entirely practical means. Um, but, you know, from being from being stabbed in the back through a false wall, you know, uh, while while about to spill the beans to being fed to the piranhas for not killing James Bond, uh, I mean we we and and all points in between it it is a it it is a a, a violent movie, uh, but the, I would argue <clears throat> that the tone of the movie is such that the that the violence is feel somewhat cartoonish and that you feel 
you don't necessarily feel any trauma associated with the violence and death. You know, I think the only genuinely difficult, gruesome death is is actually um, Brunt's death, Carindor's the piranhas. So I, th- I think that's where it's like, wow, God, but that's good because you're conveying that true evil of Blofeld and, and his sadism and his sinisters. But the rest of it is fairly cartoonish in appearance. Um, and I think probably the death of Aki as well, which I guess maybe we could talk about a little bit later. I don't know. Or we could talk about it now. But that one, that 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 whole sequence still troubles me. Um, I think it's a very well done sequence, but it still kind of troubles me. Um, but yeah, to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 the movie just rattles through from one set piece sequence, action sequence to the next. And it's like, well, what do we do? You know, we need a little bit of time before we can go to the next big set action sequence. So what do we do? So, OK, well, let's just let's just have a little bit of this going on here. Let's have a little bit of plot. Let's just write, write a bit of plots, write a bit of story, see if it makes any sense. Um, but really, the movie is about it's about fighting each other with sofas. It's the, that, that's what this movie is about. <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting you pick it up as a, as a almost a war movie because um War appears to be the aim, Graham, although um, if you can tell me why or, you know, maybe you just need to ask the Edwin Starr question of what is it good for to to Blofeld? Because this is one bit if we're picking up a criticism, I'm still trying to work out. It, it's great that they have the that they have, they do have the scene with we with Blofeld and the and the Chinese guys come in and that, that they want they want the 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 whole plant to collapse into war and and which is which is great so you you you've got that 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 explainer there because otherwise this film doesn't make sense well actually it doesn't make sense with with, with that scene <laughs> in it as well um, so basically they're stealing these satellites uh, very very carefully stealing them intact with the astronauts maybe unless they're outside of the, the space <laughs> shuttle and looking after the astronauts once they've come back to earth um, and uh and in the hope the 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 the, the two major superpowers will be such will be so far on the edge of war that they'll just collapse into war and and not 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 give it give a toss and it almost happens it almost happens that that they even know that that it's not the other side that's stealing their their, 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 their satellites but uh, Oh, sod it! Get the B fifty twos out anyway. We're we're going to war. This is it. I mean, like, I don't know what else to do here. <laughs> I really, really, I haven't got a clue. What, 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 what do we do in this situation? What's in the big book of like having your satellites nicked? It's, 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 it's uh, uh, so, so yeah, well, it was, maybe it, it was so. the early age of space, Graham. So you know, they didn't have a book. You know, they had no, 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 no way to react. They had no. There experience. was nothing to so, go on, know. was there? No. No, they, they just had a smarmy British um, officer who's like, well, according to our intelligence, <laughs> American, it's come down somewhere near Japan. I suggest that's where you, good sir, should be looking unless you are a nincompoop. Uh, <laughs> that's yes, not just, exactly the line, but it, it, it was paraphrased as much. The, the, pater, the paternalistic colonial imperial power of the 19th century looking down at the squabbling children that is the USSR and the United States of America and saying, oh, these children, what do you think they're playing? And, well, I think you'll find if you go over here, you know, you think you'll find actually it was behind the fridge all this time, but you wouldn't listen. God alive, it's 
toe curling. It's toe curlingly bad, but it's at the same time glorious to watch. <laughs> it's, it's it's a scene I, I have a lot of time for. Weirdly, absolutely, despite the fact I don't really enjoy. You know that this does not chime with my politics. Any time that we get some form of old boy network, certainly in the Connery films, that really entertains me. <laughs> I going back to Goldfinger and the bank. Yeah. Bank of England sequence as well. There's just something that they seem to slot in perfectly that you you despise but also love at the same time. Um, Terry, on the carrying on from the just the, the sheer randomness, and there's lots of other things to discuss, but I think it's a good time to to potentially bring in um, one of my I don't know whether you call it a theory, but something that I've noticed the more that I've watched this film, which is that. Um, just the sheer chaos that Blofeld is trying to bring to the world in this uh, this particular film, this film which makes, makes very little sense if you try and analyse it too much, if you just sit back and enjoy it, fine. Um, but there's a lot that I picked up going all the way through to um, the 80s and the work of Alan Moore, in uh, particularly the, the Alan Moore's portrayal uh, writing of the Joker, and also to a certain extent Watchmen as well, which which has a lot of um, chaotic elements to it, which are just done. Some of which are done for chaos's sake, and some of which aren't. Um, and whilst I probably fear that I'm reading too much into this because this was a script that Roald Dahl had to turn around in about six weeks, um, there is something in there that I keep coming back to in just the, the sheer randomness and chaoticness of villainry that sometimes just doesn't need an explanation. That's a really good point. Um, and it is interesting also, yes, of course, because Roald Dahl did, did pen this, although I think it's probably understood that it was very heavily rewritten. But the genesis of the story might well be in that, that, that this is chaos for chaos's sake. And that would be consistent with Roald Dahl and his storytelling and the kind of stories that he has told through and told throughout his, uh, his careers. And it would then make apply more meaning and consistency to, to the plot of this of this film because it is mad. I mean, like the the paper is 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 ludicrous. The 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 U.S. reaction to it is completely illogical. Um, it, it it doesn't it doesn't doesn't stand up into any any kind of scrutiny. But my but so the idea you're like saying well look look no that's the point of the movie. The point of the movie is just to demonstrate just what happens when you get you know mad insane people. And give them huge amounts of money, huge amounts of resources, and the ability and, and technology. And this is what they create. And we live in that world. We actually, in many ways, we do live in that world. So actually, in a way, this movie is incredibly relevant to today. But I don't think that that was the intention of of, of the movie once they'd finished with it. I'm, 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 I think they played it pretty straight that this was all supposed to be logical and coherent and that everybody's sort of like methods was all entirely. There's not enough. There's not enough acknowledgement of the of the chaos and of just how ludicrous this whole situation is going on uh, in the movie. Uh, and, and I think that that's where, unfortunately, we can't we can't really adapt that layer. It's certainly one that you could a filter that you could apply to watching this movie in the future and enjoy uh, uh, even more so, uh, uh, and and maybe that's something that people should think about, and we should think about that more. Mm, I, I personally, I've just started wandering off into my mind of, of what if Alan Moore had ever written a James Bond graphic novel, <laughs> but I'll I'll put that to one side because I feel that could late. be an entire podcast in itself. He's still um, writing. He's still writing. He he's still at it. Yeah, he's not too late. I doubt uh, he'll do it, but. <laughs> 
Really? No, oh, it would be cantankerous as, as anything. Um, but <laughs> Graham, I mean, there on on this and the you know we've talked about the, the illogicalness of it all. Um, there's a certain amount of circumstance here because you've got Roald Dahl who's never written a screenplay before. You've got would have originally been on a Majesty's Secret Service, but I think they, the shooting schedule meant that it had to be a summer shoot rather than a winter shoot. So they moved it around a, a little bit. And from what I can remember of the novel, um, essentially, uh, unlike all the other previous films, Dahl was, Roald Dahl was pretty much starting from very little. And so this is probably the first Bond film and, and the first in the series of Bond films that probably bears very little resemblance to the book. Um, and you can probably see some of that throughout other Bond films, which have been created with with very little reference to other than just a name and a few characters and, and potentially a couple of bullet points from Fleming's drafts, and that's about it. Yeah, uh, well, this one, uh, the novel was the last that he wrote in his lifetime, wasn't it? This was the last one that came out. Man with the Golden Gun came out afterwards, um, mm-hmm. but that was pretty much a first draft, wasn't it? I think that was... Um, but the, the, it's interesting that the the, the book is it, it it almost foreshadows his own death um, as a writer. But uh, so it is it, it's actually a lot darker than the film, and 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 it's a shame that that it doesn't actually bring, come into it come into the um, into the film. Um, you have to actually wait until I think uh, Skyfall until you you get elements of you only live twice coming into it where bond is washed up um drinking too much and and m is is basically sidelining he's side, sidelining him and it, it's it it is that 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 sort of level of of introspection in there but yeah with dal dal coming in is interesting because he, uh, he's written uh, chitty chitty <coughs> bang bang which eon go to produce the film in 1968 um but it it's it's difficult to work out what direction they wanted to go with with you. You, you only live twice because they. This this comes out two months after Casino Royale, so you you see what what that what the shape of that film and and what what they what what that achieved, um and and what that who did with the whole genre, and also they're following up Thunderball. Where are they going? What what. It, it, is you only live twice going to be something that is uh, a measure of the fact that okay, we this may be the last one we have with Sean. This may be the last Bond film. Let's put everything into it. Take as much money as we can out the franchise because really, the, I I think they they were in a situation where they weren't that confident they were going to make any more after this. Um, it's very difficult because all the stuff you 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 read and hear is is done a good twenty years after this event. So it, it's all done with you know, a couple more bonds in there and of loads more writers and loads more success and and yeah, all right, a fair few failures as well. If you look at You Only Live Twice as potentially the last Bond film, it it really it I I think it it takes on a a different a different feel to it. It 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 becomes something a bit more. There is there is jeopardy in this film. I think that's that's what it is, and there's there's jeopardy in the way that it's it it's presented, but also there's jeopardy in the fact of for on a macro sense of 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 whether or not this franchise is actually going anymore because 
uh, because Sean Connery is pretty much out of it now. There's a lot that, Terry, that kind of informs, when you take that view, there's a lot that informs so much that goes goes all the way through from from Connery's performance in the film all the way through to potentially somebody going, yes, Ken, today you can have a volcano. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I think Gwen's right. The, the, the ultimately, the, the franchise was at a point where thinking, well, we know we know this is Sean's last one. So we, and we don't know what's going to happen. We've got an idea what's going to happen next. We're going to recruit another James Bond, but you know, it, it could all go wrong. So, so they may have been thinking that this could be a bit of a final blowout or at least a, a, a spectacular send off. But I also feel that, that, that this was, this was also the point where, you know, they'd been making bucket loads of cash out of this, out of this movie and, and their budget had gone up uh, as a consequence. And they'd arrived at this, this script, this story that while, you know, inconsistent and not entirely making a great deal of sense was tremendously broad in scope um, and allowed you to, you know, go into space for the first time and do space sequences like it was a science fiction movie, to do battle sequences like it was a war movie, but also to do your pared down sequences where it was more perhaps like a little bit of a, a spy genre, but on this tremendous backdrop of like tremendous great sound sound stages in Pinewood and on Toho Studios as well in Japan, which they wisely reached out to Toho and formed a relationship with, although I suspect you probably back then you probably couldn't make a movie in Japan without Toho's go-ahead. I suspect is probably what it what it was. I don't know my history of Japanese film that well, but I reckon, given given the state of that the, the Japanese economy or the development of the Japanese economy at that point, very planned, very state-driven, um, and I would suggest that probably Toho may even had a monopoly and said, right, yeah, you can come and make your movies here, but we'll be you know consulting with you and all of that, which. I think adds to to the energy of that movie as well. Yeah, and, and you know things like the fight on Kobe Docks, which is one of my favourite scenes in the movie. It, it is in of itself. It is not actually a terribly well choreographed fight sequence on the because it, it's. I mean, there's way too much space and time being given to the guy with the gun to shoot people who are trying to kill him, and they seem to be just attacking him with spanners. You know, Aki is given way too much time to go away. It's just disjointed. And then you get up onto the the roof of the dock. And that that actually choreograph wise, it's it's not terribly convincing. But that is spectacularly not the point of the sequence. The point <laughs> of the sequence is, is that they've gone to Kobe. They've got helicopters. They've got they've, they've got locations and they are able to do this massive pan out shot from a helicopter of James Bond fighting all these people on the roof of a dock in Kobe it's and the music is like and there's no peril in the music no. there's no tension in the music this is a look at this guys this is fantastic look at what we can do and just you know to to, to, to borrow a phrase from another genre drink it in just drink it in <laughs> and that's why this movie works one of the reasons why this movie works so well is it's just like such a celebration of itself it's a fantastic celebration of its of its bondness and all the absolutely amazing things that they've now got the money to do including finally ken adam getting his volcano and it's just a work of art it's a work of genius the the the, the logistics i mean this is 1967 this is this is 22 years after the second world war Right. And, and, and I mean, and to be able to build such a, 
huge, utterly pointless and frivolous structure for a movie. I mean, like the, the logistics, the artwork, the labor, the peril, the danger that you could make a documentary about making that set. You know, I mean, it, it, it's 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 an absolute triumph of of of, of decadent capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and, and, and it's beautifully utilized as well. And thankfully, you know, Lewis Gilbert but gets absolutely the most out of that set. And quite rightly so, because it is extraordinary. It, it's just, again, comes back to, to my point earlier of just being one of the most beautiful films to, to watch and, and to listen to as well, actually, as well. And I, I will probably touch on the soundtrack a little bit later. But while we're on the subject of over the top um, just sheer nutty enjoyment. Graham, there is so much within this film that um, if you like Bond and if you certainly like a lot of the more modern Bonds and if you like um, your action sequences and if you just like your set pieces for the hell of it, you are not disappointed in this movie at all, are you? And of course not. No, it, it is. It, it it is like Terry said. It, it's just 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 drink it in because it is. It, yeah, that Terry is spot on. That fight on Kobe Docks just sums up the whole film, and it it sums up. Yeah, it makes no sense, but look how gorgeous it is. <laughs> look how 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 sensuous it is. It is. It is just just perfect. And if you want to sit there and try and make sense of it. Uh, when, which, which I guess we we have to because we're recording a podcast about it. But uh, why why should we do that when we just say, "There, this is great." So, there, up yours. <laughs> it's it, it is, um, yeah. It, it, it is it is so spectacular in its way. I mean, the, the 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 volcano is is such a good example of it. This this huge folly that 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 Ken Adam built. This massive, <laughs> massive thing that he created, um, that was that was just a logistical problem in every direction. For once, even even down to how the hell do you light something like that? Of course, you know, <laughs> even at the time, that would have probably they, they would have probably thought, let's do a matte painting for this. Well, you you'll get away with that. A map painting will get will get someone in. We'll, 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 there are some amazing map painters around in the sixties, and and you wouldn't believe what 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 they could get away with. That would have that would have worked fine if they'd made that film five years later. That would have probably been just a model as well. That 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 whole that 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 cutaway there. That the um, Bond went more into models into uh, as as it went on. But we catch it just at this perfect moment. We catch Bond at this at this point where it has got so much confidence that it can give Ken Adam one million dollars to put <laughs> to build this volcano, and that's exactly how much it cost him as well. That's that's the price he came up with to 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 build it, and it it is. Just, just ridiculous. I mean, the thing is, well, they even let him have a monorail in there. This is, it's, it's, it's not only the fact that he's got a, a hollowed out volcano. He just throws the kitchen sink at it. Says, right, yeah, okay, yeah, monorail. There, going all the way around. Okay. Monorail. <laughs> it's really, it is really, it's, it's amazing how how much you know. Also, because I mean, it's just such a devious idea. I mean, just the year, the sheer idea that we're, well, it's going to build it under, but the launch pad's going to be in a big 
multi-purpose underground compl- uh, complex, secret complex that's going to be on a hollowed out volcanoes. So they're going to hollow out. <laughs> how did they build it? How did they how did they get the workmen in there when no one noticed? I mean, like in the middle of these islands where there's like like no one there, there's just just fishermen and really armor girls, diving girls, fishermen, and their fishing villages. There's nothing going on there. There's no infrastructure. There's no technology. And yet they managed to build this thing somehow. And 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 also managed to persuade the audience to not ask these stupid ass questions like <laughs> how did how do you power this where do you get your energy from you know how did you bring the plumbers in how did you get yeah, what did you yeah, how did you fit the toilets where how where is your where is your infrastructure network where are your where's your plumbing your, your cabling and all of that i mean like how did you who designed it and all of these stupid stupid pathetic questions that only podcasters can get away with asking at this point because <laughs> because it's all part of the of, of the fun the movie succeeds in brushing all of those stupid questions aside and allowing us to concentrate and we're just wowed by it i i said earlier decadent capitalism i will revise that at some point this is a this is the, the the construction of that is also it should be pointed out by the hard work of a unionized labor force back in the 1960s working for the film industry so actually if anything it's a triumph of the it's one of the great cultural triumphs of the post-war consensus of the british post-war consensus uh, that that set would never have been constructed under thatcher only a wilson government could have given that could have done that yes <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i was not expecting that i mean and, and, and let's be fair Neither really? were we expecting Margaret Thatcher to ever make a cameo in a Bond film, and yet she Honestly. did. Yeah, well, let's bless her. There is so much that is, um, and, and again, as you say, drink it in, the gorgeousness of it. And I'm going to get into a few criticisms in a bit, but one more thing which I just want to talk about drinking, which I touched on earlier in Graham, that is just how gorgeous the whole soundtrack is from it from start to finish there it is a level of perfection yeah there is um from the from the first scenes with the with the captured in space it is a uh, it's it's a it's a theme that that you just instantly pick up on you it's an it's a it it just grabs your attention and gives you all of the of the jeopardy, even though you're in space and things are happening very, very, very slowly. Um, it it just <laughs> has this 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 ridiculous spaceship coming to 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 eat another spaceship, which is brilliant and 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 it, it's it it would have worked so well on the big screen as well. I mean, I have not seen this on the big screen and I wish I had. This is one of the, of the, of the, of the Connery films that I really wish I've seen on, on, on a big screen. All throughout that, the fight at Kobe docks, the, uh, uh, little Nelly scene as well, the, everything about it, the, the music just works. And the, and you've got John Barry, who's, who's got this down pat now. And he's he's really maturing as as a as a as someone who does film scores now times are changing in the 60s films films the 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 purpose of film score is 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 changing and he's changing with it so you you can see where he's developing you can see where he's going to go in the 70s and 80s doing doing big hollywood films uh and 
but also you can see where he's come from as well with the with the previous Bond films as well. Um, Terry, would you would you go along with that? You can definitely see the evolution of John Barry as a as, as a as a composer. His craft is definitely evolving in this in this movie. There's the, 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 a lot of the common light motifs and cues that you would get, you know, and the and the instrumentation that he was using beforehand in movies like Thunderball and you own and um, and uh, Crossfire, for example. Um, uh, that that's pretty much taken out of it. But I think this is because the movie is set in Japan. And so he's going for a somewhat different vibe. It's interesting because he, he does go for the kind of kind of traditional uh, Japanese music, sort of like orchestrations and arrangements, doesn't he? Which is quite interesting because when he does, when he does Out of Africa, you know, in the, in the 1980s, obviously not a James Bond film, um, but he elects completely to, to not do any, any sort of like traditional African or West African music in this movie. He makes it a straight orchestral set because I just think he, maybe he was just a little bit worried about cultural appropriation. I think he was also just worried about the fact that you know, if it's not actually being done by an African, it's not terribly authentic. And so he just went for a straight orchestrate orchestration. He won an Oscar for it. Um, but you only live twice is, is, a, is, is an earlier iteration. And, that, and I wonder whether or not like, you know, Barry of 20 years later might have actually taken a different approach to this movie and scoring this movie. I'm glad he took the approach that he did because it is amazing. It, it, it's the, 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 the theme tune. Graham and I have discussed this. You only live twice. Uh, Nancy's Nancy's you only live twice. I mean, I think for a while, Graham, you and I were of the view that this was the best, the best James Bond song. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I'm minded to change that no. opinion, although I, I, I mean, Goldfinger and Thunderball run this movie really, really close. I mean, I like all of them, almost all of them. So it's like cigarette paper we're talking. But I think for me, Nancy's You Only Live Twice uh, 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 um, uh, still wins. But um, the other thing is, is the slight disappointing thing about it is that the soundtrack that was released um, we never got the full version of the soundtrack. A lot of the other John Barry releases we got later on. We got further. We, we got further. You know, other cues that weren't originally part of the original LP were added. But this was one of those that we never got. So, so we only have like the key moments in the movie on, on the soundtrack to listen back to, which is a bit of a shame. And I guess it also acts as an appeal, as if that if that material is available, and I suspect it probably isn't. Otherwise, it had been released by now. Then it would be lovely to have another release. Of that soundtrack but yeah i mean it's it's definitely if we ever do a world cup of james bond um soundtracks uh then then you only live twice is gonna is, is gonna be an early favorite in my opinion and i would also uh concur as well that if we ever did a, a world cup of james bond theme tunes i think uh you only live twice would also be the one that i would put up there um and, and you know what gary Maybe we should do a World Cup of James Bond thing. <laughs> I mean, that that would be. I think we could we could crack that out probably in, in one podcast. We wouldn't need the yeah, whole yeah. villain read like we did last. No, time, no, no. We're we, never we, gonna. We we're never doing it like that again. We'll, go, we'll, go, we'll do it as a single a single podcast. We'll do it as a single yeah. podcast. But we, we, I, we, I have after our current run. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings and opinions on that. I know which ones in my mind would run it close. Although there's, uh, I've listened to those a lot. Um, Okay, so there's a lot that we we like about this film, and there there is a lot to like overall as well. And yes, we have a slightly nonsensical plot, which starts in the very first moment of of killing off Bond and bringing him back for no apparent reason other than it just ties into a title, um, and carries on throughout to just having a, a random chaos at the end of it. We can live with that. Um, 
Graham, there are a, uh, shall we say, a few problems with this film. Um, and it's, You Only Love Twice is, is weirdly one of the, the Bond films, which I probably haven't watched as much as others. And watching it back in preparation for this, my first thought was, oh, this is quite misogynistic, even for Bond. <laughs> 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 yes <laughs> yes it is <laughs> um yeah and they they try to get away with it by saying oh no no this is this isn't this isn't us being misogynistic this is just the way they do things in japan this is this is it this is this this is just <laughs> just the way it goes yeah it's not our fault oh, we're just we're just presenting it yeah yeah right okay yeah, yeah man what are you racist yeah <laughs> Yeah, if you've got if you've got some beef with it, their culture. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got beef with it, you know, go go over there, talk to talk 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 to talk to them about it. You know, don't don't complain to me. Um, yeah, it, it is. You know, in, in Japan, men come first. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it sums up the whole feeling about it. Um, yeah, well, we we we're used to this in Bond films and. Uh, and yes, it, it is presented here as such. I think the worst bit of 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 misogyny is something that that um, that Terry has has alluded to already, and that and that and that that's not any of the of the just just expressed misogyny that you see throughout the film, but it is just the way that Aki is as a character is just dismissed, is just thrown away, um, which. Is is perhaps the most uncomfortable part of the film for me? I think because it is utterly pointless. Her 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 removal from the script is is just it's just, there is just unnecessary, and she's replaced with another another agent, uh, another of Tanaka's agent, and you think, well, what's the point? Why do, why you you've not you've, you've not introduced a different character? You've not you've, you've not introduced someone with different motivations or. Uh, or 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 plot goals. You've got, you've just basically got her replacement, <laughs> whoever was next in mm. line to be to be in for, for for the job, and and it, yeah, it it just doesn't make sense. It, they, there's nothing in there to to her death. She isn't. She. I don't think she's even mentioned again afterwards as well. So no. And and that is just. Well, yeah, it it is it is the lowest point of the film that is for me, and not because it is a very traumatic point. It's because it's not a traumatic point, really, as far as the, as far as the plot is concerned. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they're literally talking about the mission like seconds after you know she's she's dead. Um, I mean, it's it's really incredibly cold. I mean, I, I suspect that this is probably a contractual. This is that this was this has been done because of a contractual thing they've decided. To have two bond girl, two bond girls in, they've gone in for Akiko Wakabayashi who, and Mia Hama, both of them, particularly the former, who's a well-established, well-known, and something of a screen legend uh, in Japanese cinema, who would have brought an awful, sold an awful lot of, of tickets in in Japan. Um, uh, but and then the Mia Hama, who's been in a couple of King Kong movies and, and, and some other stuff, but perhaps not quite so well known. But they clearly decided to have two. Uh, rather than having Aki run all the way through this movie, which she could have easily have done, and it would have been a much better movie if they had done. So they fabricated the deep cover story, which they didn't need because they only had three weeks to resolve this whole issue. So there's no need for a deep cover. 
when you because you just don't have time to develop one no need to take a wife you know and if there was a need to take a wife then what was the problem really i suppose yeah no need to take a wife but really no need to go into that whole thing at all they could have could have used the script to find a way of getting Aki onto that island realistically uh, and, and making it work. It's not like we're all experts on Japanese uh, armor culture and know how authentic or inauthentic that would have that whole sequence would have been. It's a James Bond movie where they've just built an under a, a massive complex in one of their volcanoes without anyone knowing about it. I mean, like this is not the time to be saying, oh, you know, it's a, you know, in order to maintain the authenticity and integrity of the storyline, <laughs> it was necessary for James Bond to, to 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 make himself up like a Japanese guy, take a wife, and and kill you know a perfectly good and developing character in this in, in this film it is it is it is actually scandalous and it's one of the things that i can i have absolutely zero time for it's it's really really poor and 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 rightly takes me out of the movie for a little while but then you know the flashes and bangs and you know stuff happens all again and i'm you know i'm i'm back in it but it is inexcusable hmm. it's um it's one of the things that doesn't sit entirely comfortably with me now this is a bit where I will I will put out my entire feelings on Bond, um, which I on on this particular film, which I think um, is probably not certainly is, is not necessarily one that would be shared by you. And this isn't me within a moonraker mode of um, trying to resolve some some father issues in there <laughs> and just disliking the film from an early point. But I remember watching you only live twice and I, I i think it was probably one of the later bonds that i came to <clears throat> and i'd watched a lot of other bond films before that point so i was a little bit older so certainly some of the the more problematic elements um became were a little bit more apparent than perhaps they would have been to a 14 year old kid who had just been going holy hell they've built a volcano with exploding things this is amazing um but I remember it the first time, for some reason, it didn't quite engage me as much as, as some other Bond films. Um, and watch, and I, I've always still felt that. And then watching it back again, I don't sometimes, as I, I've kind of paid more attention to them as we've been going into the podcast, I've picked up some things in some films I've, I've liked more than I expected to, certainly a lot from the, the Roger Moore era. Um, I've reassessed a lot of them. Um, I don't think I've reassessed my view too much on this one which is that it is a I can see why people like it. I can see it is not objectively a bad film for all its its flaws and the flaws of many. I can completely see why it's beloved by by Bond fans. But there's something about the whole film that just leaves me cold. And I cannot really get into a, a big level of, of love for this film. Not because I think it is a bad film. I don't. It's just I prefer to I, I enjoy looking at it as a beautifully shot film and a great piece of cinema I enjoy the soundtrack I, I enjoy elements of, of the action but there's something and I don't know whether it's the characterization I don't connect with any of them I don't warm to any of them it's certainly not like um, you know Tanaka is certainly no Karen Bay for example who is, is he's clearly trying to be that type of character within there that there is just something that i cannot say exactly why but i've never connected with this film and i still don't think that i will do for all the the elements of it that are fun and enjoyable it just ends up leaving me a little bit cold not 
like Thunderball where I was, I, I, there's bits which I really like about Thunderball, but there's bits where I get a little bit bored as, as we talked in the last podcast. This one is just, uh, yeah, I can watch it, but there's something that's missing and I don't know whether it's a heart. I don't know whether it's, it's just the fact that this is one where Connery knows it's his last one. So he's not perhaps dialing it up. Potentially it's the fact that you've got, when you look at what's come before, you've suddenly got a script which veers away quite differently. There's something that just, um, uh, to quote, um, one, uh, Roger Moore film, Graham, there's something for me that just, it's lost its charm. And I can't really place where it is. <laughs> I I think the the main problem you're you're going to have with this, Gary, is that you, you you're not going to love this film by looking closer at it. <laughs> uh, I think no. That... And if I didn't love it already, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And again, it's not that I dislike it. It is is not like I'm sat there going, "This is a bad film." This is a film that I dislike. But Graham, again, to pick up to your point earlier, if you were going to pick a Bond film to show somebody for the first time, it would absolutely not be this one. It's not the easiest of films to get into. And for me, it's it's when you look at all the other Bond films across all the other Bonds, it's one that I find I feel I should like more than I do. Um, but I've just found it quite a hard film to love. No, I, I can totally see that. I mean, I think... I, I I know why I I don't get on with Thunderball, but I can easily see why why people absolutely love it, um, and 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 completely ignore all the problems that I have with it, and 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 I can see why why people could look at, at you only live twice and think exactly the same, even though I think objectively there are things that are much better in You Only Live Twice than there are in Thunderball. I think it's got a better look. It, it just sounds better. Uh, the script isn't as laboured. And it and it doesn't dwell on anything, which is what Thunderball do, is is constantly guilty of. It, and, and it's not building up tension. That is just dwelling on something that you think is cool and it actually is actually quite dull. Um, so it's it, it that's that that's what it does. Um, for for me, the the one good thing about about uh the well the the best thing I think about uh you only live twice is the fact that it never stops. It it is it goes from one thing to the next, and and it, it not in a way that is uh breathless, not in a way that 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 leaves you trying to catch up with it in any way because it it's not it if if any if any bond film deserves to be to be likened to a roller coaster it's this one it is it is just a load of fun and and it, and i think i suppose that's what it's designed to be it's like it's like two hours out of your life and it's it, it is just meant to be go in there have fun eat a load of popcorn go on it's just that's, mm. uh, and, and then 50 years later record a podcast about it <laughs> I, Terry, we we talk we've talked so often. This is our almost recurring motif in here that you know what type of bond a good bond film is one which which doesn't deviate from what it's trying to be and it knows what it is straight off the bat. And uh, for all the criticisms, you you can't lay any criticism at you only live twice that it's it doesn't know what it's trying to be. It knows sure as hell what it's trying to be as a film. Yeah, no, it's not a lumpy James Bond film. It doesn't it doesn't tonally shift. It it it, it remains utterly consistent, and it 
and and as a consequence it, it forms a template for for two much better iter- versions of this movie in the 1970s in spy who loved me and moonraker uh, same director and, and and you know let's face it in many ways you know very much the same elements of the movie uh, of, the, of the movies going on there. I mean, basically, Spy Love Me, Moonraker, same film, right? Uh, and and it's 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 father, if you like, for me is you only live twice. Uh, that's 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 what I think of. But it is not. But uh, I mean, I think the mistakes that are made are learnt from, from the the mistakes that are made in You Only Live Twice are learnt for Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. But yeah, really, Spy Who Loved Me because again, Moonraker, same film. Um, and 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 they refine they refine that format. Um, and and make it a much much better film, and that's one of the reasons why *Every Only Twice* deserves to have a, 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 a much much higher place in the pantheon. I think because of the of its legacy, of its profound legacy. But Gary, you know, it is difficult if I was to sit here and sit just with someone, and every criticism that of *You Only Live Twice*, um, and and someone sat down with me and explained one by one every single criticism they had. I doubt I could defend any one of them really. Apart from the fact, yeah, but it's a big load of fun and a bunch of stuff happened because that's just not that's not a that's not a proper defence. <clears throat> the, the movie is flawed. Its narrative is is, is narrative is, is is non-existent really. It, it, it's just you know there's there's, it, 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 there's no apparent consistency from one scene to the next. I mean, wh- why does he have to get his ticket from the from a Japanese sumo wrestler? I mean, why? <laughs> I, I mean, in a, I mean, I, I love that. I love that he, that he goes to visit a Japanese sumo wrestler to get a ticket for, to watch sumo wrestling but i don't understand why i mean i i don't care but I, but it doesn't but it doesn't make any sense i mean and you know this movie you know, the, the, you know when they're having when tanaka who i'd love although i think he's not really well used i think he kind of you know becomes just like basically just like he's supposed to be the head of the japanese sis but actually just becomes bond's pa which i think is a bit rubbish you know, I mean, the, 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 when they're having the bath and talking about Osata chemicals, the, the, the dialogue there just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it just, it's just a bunch of sentences that have just been put together. It's, it doesn't it doesn't really make make any sense. It's, it's a film that is entirely concerned with 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 just doing really, really cool stuff. You know, you know, Bond gets into a fight with a guy and he hits him with a sofa twice, maybe even three times. I mean, that's brilliant. But it's not really. And then he, he escapes from that place and then goes back the next day. He doesn't even bother to put on any glasses. You know, he's standing in the lift with one of the guys he shot at, you know, the, only the previous night. You know, it doesn't. And then, and then when they has his has his meeting, you know, Osata turns up in a helicopter for a meeting. I mean, like, that's brilliant, by the way. <laughs> All of these things are just like. But, and, and the, but you also have to add on a deeper level. You, you get Connery is not really in into this movie and it does kind of show i mean he's his lack of enthusiasm does show but i mean if you don't like this movie you're not as graham says you look examining it more closely is the last thing you should be doing you should be standing (laughs) way back you know and just like letting it letting it lap over you but it has some all of these things that every every criticism of this movie you can easily flip and say well that's what i love about it yeah no exactly exactly it is entirely a matter of opinion entirely a matter of opinion one of my favorite tiny bits in the film is when he's leaving uh asata's uh offices and 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 they said right just kill him and they've got the assassin in the back of the car with his rifle moving following a walking james bond very very slowly <laughs> just like <laughs> 
But even to, just to, to murder someone outside of your own headquarters. I mean, like, I mean, how, I mean, the, the thing is, we go, we don't want to drill too much into these things because you know we know what James Bond films are like. We know that it's for show, and it, and it's all, it is all genuinely absurd. But the, the the critical thing here is, is that you look at the absurdity of Moonraker. It's got a structure to it, and and they apply, and it makes sense, no matter how stupid it is. It, it all because it's consistent, it makes sense, and you only love twice lacks lacks I think that can that that consistency, and I think they play it a little bit too straight, a little bit too straight, I think is 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 the problem that they have, um and and you do get to a point where you're wondering what the point of all of this is, you don't know what apart from just to have tons and tons of fun and just love <laughs> lavish the Ken Adams set. And the great, I mean, great acting. I mean, like Charles Gray is in this movie. He's brilliant. You know, I mean, Among there's other a great things. Like, Money Penny's like cameo in it is fantastic. You know, I mean, the, the little Nelly sequence, Desmond Llewellyn, you know, Q is brilliant in this. I love his, you know, I've, you know, I've come a long way. Probably it's going to come a long way. I'm very hot. Probably no reason at all. So I have no mood for your juvenile quips, which very much sums up the production of this film. You know, it, it, it's, it, it's, it is, it is very much, you know, that's the essence of this movie. They should have just used that as, the, as, it, as its tagline, but it's perfectly reasonable to not like the movie for that because say, well, this is just silly. It's too silly. <laughs> what I'm taking from that is essentially that um, if this film had been written by Chris Wood, we would have been proclaiming the best Bond film ever. You know what? And I think that you're probably right because 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 the dialogue in the movie is not very strong, as I've said. And whereas whereas, as I said, these are problems that they iron out and they get a decent script writer in for Spy Who Loved Me. And, and it improves the film immeasurably. Uh, and dare I say also you've got because you, you've got Roger Moore at his peak as well. Um, and, and, and that adds huge volumes to it as well, whereas you've got a, a visibly declining Sean Connery, shall we say. Yes, the, the film means more wood. Um, I think we can certainly. Well, say. Uh, we could say that about every James Bond film. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the, I mean, obviously, problematic uh, as, as we've talked there. There's there's things to love, there's things to dislike. Um, so, Graham, as we we enter into the uh, the the final third of this particular podcast, let's then talk about the fact that we this is also a film that is hugely influential throughout the Bond canon as a whole and hugely influential through other popular culture um, because not only do you have Ken Adams' Volcano set, which is, is the template for many villains' lairs in the wait in the in the future to come, but you also have finally the revealing of Blofeld and, and a very menacing Donald Pleasance in there as well, who, again, whilst he actually has very little screen time, um, set a lot of template for um, Bond. And I have a feeling at this point, listeners, if you have the Austin Powers bingo card out there, you are probably going to be ticking off a full house. <laughs> yeah, this this does have everything that uh, <laughs> that Mike Myers used in, in Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, uh, even down to the Basil exposition tv screen and the car dashboard it is <laughs> it's it is it, it, yeah yeah everything's there everything's there for you which which adds i think to the warmth of it really because it, it's it's what people have used for years every time you do a bond pastiche every bond pastiche you will ever see has an element from this film somewhere in it somewhere it, it, it's it's taken something and even when bond is 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 pastiching itself it draws back onto this onto this film donald pleasance is 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 
I want to say, is is he excellent in this? He's very good. He's 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 very well. The, the thing is, you get you get two blowfolds in this film, don't you? Because you get Charles Gray as well. So, <laughs> uh, but the three the three actors that that you you see in in this period, you, you've got Donald Pleasance, you've got Charles Gray, and you've got Telly Savalas, all present uh, Blofeld in completely different ways. Um, and and very memorable ways. You don't you don't look at any of them. Even Charles Gray's one in in the frankly awful Diamonds of Forever. Uh, it is there's a warmth to it. There, there is something about about him that that it, 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 I don't know if he, he if he's got the same menace. <laughs> he hasn't anywhere near as much menace as as the other two. But with the Donald Pleasance's uh, version of it, it, it he is just as you said earlier chaotic almost he's scheming is uh, extortion is my business and the way he says it it's just you know this 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 is right you've 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 gone into business with this guy of course he's gonna 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 screw you over because that's what he does and you know if you want us to do these horrible things then you know you could expect that you know you lie down with dogs you get fleas and that's what he brings across the fact that if you go into business with this guy you know he's gonna he's gonna stitch you up he's gonna come out better out of the deal even if you think you've got a you've got a handshake you know count your fingers afterwards and 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 he brings that across um Jan Verick was um, originally cast in the role, lasted about three days on set, and because he looked like Father Christmas, they, they, they said, no, there's just no menace in this guy, so get rid of him and bring someone else in. So he was a late choice um, uh, in the role, but I, th- I think he does he does it very well, and he gets he gets the killer lines as well, which is what you always want with, with the villain. You want him to have the best lines in the film. Mm. And then obviously Terry, because they they knew what they well, they knew the other Fleming books that they they had to work with. And they obviously have spent so much time building him up. Um, We are we are denied um, a glorious death for the villain. Instead, we get a a silent uh, what I'm going to assume is is potentially German henchman. Um, potentially slightly uh, um, sort of guessing there, but um, some just thrown into the piranhas as the uh, denouement of the uh, of the big death in the film. Um, but yes, you you have you set up the Blofeld and Bond antagonism for two more movies to come, and at least one of them is uh, is a joy to behold within there. Um, but yeah, it's do you do you feel that there is is satisfaction in the ending as it gets you've got the big bangs, but then at the end of the day you do have Donald Pleasance um, running out of the building with a cat. Yeah, if I could, if I could just reflect a little bit on Don, Donald Pleasance's. Uh, uh, portrayal of this because it is interesting yeah, that he was a, a late arrival i mean he brings a huge amount to this and, and i mean it is a lot of it is unfortunately lost with posterity because of 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 the cultural impact of his performance and it shouldn't be forgotten there is a reason why his why this character is pastiched as much as it is is because it was so beautifully done it's just such an amazing performance the only time it probably lets itself down slightly is because he's somewhat diminutive. Is Donald Pleasance, particularly when he's standing next to to to, to Sean Connery, that, that that does somewhat diminish him. But in general, when he's there and he's in, he's got his cat and he's in his armchair and he's you know he, he, he's using all the best lines, as Graham says. You know, he brings so much to that. I mean, I think the scar is a is you know 
we think about the scar and we think it's probably a little bit cheesy because we think of Dr. Evil. But, you know, what better way to convey to an audience, you know, this is a man who has lived the life of evil and has the scars to show it. And it really conveys the menace. It's 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 very straightforward evil, isn't it? And it, it's evil. You know, you would always say that it was evil, evil, you know, <laughs> um, but it, it's it, 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 and it is it's 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 very of its time. And we portray evil in different ways now. Um, but it does have the hallmarks of him having some a degree of a degree of charisma, which you need. Um, and the the earlier sequences where we don't see his face before the reveal are fantastic. And, yeah, with, with, the, with the, the, the piranha fish and the, 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 the willingness to, to literally feed one of his underlings to the to the to the fishes you know, in, in full view of his clients who he's about to extort. Is a really is a really good, beautifully put together, and and it is this this is the moment when the movie sort of like does start to coalesce and make a degree of sense as a movie because you look at him and go, this is the master of this is the architect of all this chaos, and we can believe that he is capable of doing all of these things, even though we're not entirely certain of the motivations of everybody else. We don't know why everyone else would be there, but we can understand why he's there and why he's doing it. Um, and even to the point where you can even understand why he doesn't just simply kill Bond straight away rather than delaying his moment. You can understand that he wants a moment of gratification, this moment of sweet gratification to exercise the coup de grace, even though he should have really killed Bond long, long, long earlier in the movie. Um, and, and, and this, of course, becomes a trope. This is a Bond trope. Um, and, and so much of that comes from there. And of course, it has the great line, goodbye. Mr. Bond, which, um, you know, is a, some people use as a bit of a sign off, you know, for their podcast. <laughs> I certainly when and I know that we have uh, Graham obviously done the World Cup of villainry and spent a long time talking about villainry, but it, it does bear a little bit more looking at. And especially, again, when you look at the um, the villains that have come before him in this franchise as well, that really the only I would say that the only villain that has has got that same level of just sheer menace albeit in a very different way is Gert Frober's Goldfinger who is is a wonderfully menacing character and we've obviously talked talked about him in in depth a slightly different level of menace just to, because of the the character that he is but um yeah in when you look at the the other various villains and especially um Largo I think in Thunderball who some is fun but pales a lot in comparison to uh, to seeing Donald Pleasance just stare at you on the screen. Totally. And and I think like um like <coughs> Gert Frober's uh Goldfinger, you've got the he doesn't need the physical presence uh to 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 instill menace. He's got his mute bodyguard uh, which uh, and, and this is what this is another trope that that, that is really look seized upon. Hans is is underused in this, and you can see mm. why. I mean, he's a proto Jaws, isn't he? Mm. Um, but obviously, they, they 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 take Jaws and they make him one of the key figures in 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 the Chris Wood films. Um, but here he is just a goon, um, and 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 probably underused if if, if he had had something more about his character he could have been something a bit more of a shadowy figure in the background 
Um, but in, instead, we we don't we don't get that element. We just get goons in a car traveling two miles an hour on the driveway. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Donald Pleasance is brilliant in it, and uh, and and I think um, if you were to compare him with other ones at the time, I, I think it's. I don't I don't I don't think you get too much more out of it because I think you. you, you as, as I said, said before, with, with the three Blofelds, they've all approached it differently and they all suit the film that, that they're in. Uh, and, and that's the, what you, you, you've got when you've got Goldfinger and when you go back to, to um, From Russia With Love as well, you've got the villains in there suit the film. And in many ways, the, 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 the villains dictate the feeling of the film because the, the, they, they are the central point. They are, they are Bond's focus of it so um and and as well when when you get up to to to, to chris wood then th- that adds that comedic value that's why those films are, are so comical because largely the, the the villain is jaws and he is a largely comedic character uh, there is as we've discussed an awful lot to to like about um you only live twice um some people like it more than others and i won't go back into the bits that I, i'm i'm less keen on um but but hopefully um people understand where i'm coming from at least in there but terry as a whole when you are looking at, at you only live twice as, as we said hugely influential film in terms of popular culture um i can imagine it must have been incredible to watch on the big screen but overall in in the bonds um that have gone before it and when you look at the the, the all the bond films together does this hold up into your say top five that uh, some people might put it in or, or where do you kind of place this one overall in your affections? Well, before I answer that, I will just very quickly say that I did go through a period of life where I didn't like this movie. Um, when I was going through a sort of like teenage, angry teenage period, when I was reading the Fleming novels in my sort of early and mid teens, I read the, I read the you only live twice book novel with Fleming's you know, and 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 was really angry got angry with you only live twice the movie because it was just because it was just a, a a flimsy sort of like pastiche a, a version of of Fleming's original vision and got very 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 upset uh, that actually lasted quite a while um before I sort of like started to sort of like stop taking this stuff quite so seriously um so I have I have had a, a I have a, something of a checkered history with with you only live twice and and but but once I started to to yeah embrace it for for its considerable strengths so I, I I get on much better with it but as a consequence I wouldn't place it very highly in 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 in, in my own it, it it's possible it squeaks into my top five but it's not likely um but it is that said it is a movie that I return to frequently and I think that there are better Bond films that I watch less frequently than you only live twice. You know, I, 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 the thing about You Only Live Twice is that, it, is that it's so easy to watch. Um, and because you know that something really fun is just coming around the corner because you know the film so well. I wouldn't necessarily, I certainly wouldn't recommend it to a brand new, uh, to somebody who's never watched a James Bond film before. I'd, I'd, I'd pick a better movie than this. But, but I would like to think it sits well in its order because by this point, the contemporary audiences they they know the form now they turn up at a james bond movie and they know that they're watching they're going to be watching something that's going to be on its way to pantomime 
And so they see James Bond getting shot out of a torpedo tube in a submarine and they're completely bought into that and they're on board with that and they're going to just to just take it for, for what it is. Um, it's only, you know, I think as the movie has uh, passes through various different periods of history and different people kind of watch it and they add their own values to it that the, that the movie i think describes it. it's only under scrutiny that this movie struggles but that doesn't make it good and it doesn't necessarily mean that we should that we should say it's among among the best but it has an important legacy as we've discussed has an important legacy not just in terms of culturally can't be underestimated and also it, it is as i said it's the father of spy who loved me and 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 that in itself uh, it means it deserves a tremendous amount of respect. So, you know, I guess if we go return to our football analogy, we're talking comfortable mid-table, maybe thinking about Conference League on a good season. <laughs> um, Graham, you, uh, you obviously have uh, watched quite recently all the Bonds back to back. Where did You Only Live Twice end up for you in your heart and affections by the end of your uh, your watching? Well, because it, it is so familiar to me and because it is like, like, like Terry, it is such an easy watch. It's such an undemanding watch for me that it, 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 it was, it was in the, when I, I was watching it in, in, in the process, or, all right, it comes quite early on, but it is one of those things where, oh, well, this is an easy mile. This, this, this one is just, this is just, you only live twice. I know everything about this film. I've watched it so many times. Still enjoy it, and and that's what the, the good thing about it was. And I and I knew that I had on a Magic Secret Service coming up, and then I've got then I had to think. Oh, then I've got to sit down and watch Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, yeah, it still it still holds up. It it never it never deviates. I've I've, I've as I explained, there is the one point in the film that is is a is a real low for me but um as far as where it sits in the rest of the films is concerned uh there is always the the thing where that looking back on on films that i don't revisit that often i can look at them again and think oh, actually i don't like this as much as i thought i did or i can think Actually, this is a much better film. I'm actually in a better place to enjoy this film now. On, uh, in as far as what the filmmakers were actually trying to do, or if they were trying to do something, which obviously in a James Bond film, you know, it, it, it's not always necessary. But if they are trying to do something else, then that's brilliant. So, yeah, probably if I was to write down my definitive one to twenty-four of all the films. It may have gone down the table because other films have come up. But like Terry, I think I know that there are better films in, in the canon than this. Doesn't stop me watching these, this one, in, instead of those ones, because I just think this one is is so good and I and I really enjoy it. Mm. You've got to take, uh, take your initial memories with it as well. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I watched this movie when I was a child probably with my family and it, I would have been, I know I, I don't probably, I don't remember the first time I watched it. That's how young I was when I watched it. You know, I mean, it, it, it would, I would have had wonderful warm feelings of sitting there in front of the television with my family watching this movie. And you don't, 
you don't take those away from people. And 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 with Bond movies more than anything else, because Bond has gone through so many people's childhoods that they attach themselves to that. And even if they're no good, even if that film's no good, you can't that that initial that emotional separation will never be severed. It will never be severed. And and I mean, like, I love one of the reasons why I love your, your own your, um, Moonraker and your, and Spy Love Me is because of my aunt used to take me to see them at the when I was when I was a boy and she took me to the pictures to see them and I have these incredibly warm and very very warm feelings of love associated with these movies you just don't you don't separate that and every Bond fan has this and that's why I think we do probably have to be careful when we're being too unkind to movies because we have to bearing in mind that people have these emotional connections to these movies that sh- that, that that are precious and 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 you know shouldn't be shouldn't be abused or or, or taken light of and, and that's possibly a, a something to do with 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 my affection for for you only live twice but 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 only a, an element of it mm, I, I think that's incredibly fair as well because you know as i've said this is a this is one of the films that i don't have that warmth and warm memory of unlike say you know goldfinger which is obviously a, a cracking film but was a a film that was much loved in the household as well so at that point you're always going to to look at it positively um whereas this film i as i said i came to quite late um and sometimes that's a good thing with bonds and sometimes in this case it's it's probably much of a less good thing but if um I was summing up my feelings towards this film. It can be done in, I think, what, five words. Moonraker is a better movie. (gasps) Well, (sighs) what can I say? It's all been worth it, then. It's (laughs) all been worth it. If I was going to be controversial, I would actually say that if I was, if I prefer a film to this one, and again, it's not that I dislike it, but I think I'd prefer to watch For Your Eyes Only as well, which might be a slightly more controversial take. That is, I find that more controversial. Uh, I don't know about you, Graham. What do you think? Yeah, that is controversial. Yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm just thinking, you're thinking, is that controversial? No, no, it is controversial. I know because we revised up our opinions of For Your Eyes Only, um, didn't we, when we did For Your Eyes Only? But I mean, I'm not sure we revised them that much up. But uh, you know, fair play, fair fair play to you. And uh, you know, I'm um, but but thank you for being such a good sport through this movie and in, in, uh, and allowing us to to celebrate the uh, the, the 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 movie's best elements to it. But but yes, yeah, so if I, if they just thinking back on it, if they had just looked at Casino Royale from the few months earlier, which obviously might have been a bit difficult, and 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 just thought about if they just written in the 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 deliberate chaos into the narrative of this movie i think it would have moved it it would have made a lot more sense and i think it would have given the movie a lot more charm and character and make it an even better movie i mean they didn't and it was a very long time ago and it's fine but i think that's you know that that's the only thing that that for me that's the big takeaway about this discussion that we've had is Mm. that is is that they it is a Missed opportunity, actually, and and that's a little bit of a shame because I'm going to have to go away and think about that. But I won't think very long. No, because you can't really think too hard about this no. film. Um, and yeah, let let's be fair as well. Before anybody starts um, preparing their angry tweets, and if they get to, to this stage of the podcast, I will also say that I think it is a good film. Um, I think it has the potential to be a much better film than it is, um, and it's also a film that. I completely understand why people would like it. 
And I, there is a lot that I do like about it, if only for the fact that I can sit back and just enjoy some beautiful, beautiful scenery, cinematography and soundscape. And sometimes, hey, if you've got a film that looks really, really good, you can forgive an awful lot about it as well. Um, and with that, I think we will come to the end of You Only Live Twice. Now, We've been doing all the Connery films, so there is uh, a film that we will probably take a, we'll come back to, but this does mean that, Graham, the next podcast will be Diamonds of Forever, which I know you cannot wait for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get to rewatch Diamonds of Forever again. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope that you're... Um, you know, going to look forward to to this film as a as a precursor for a, a little um, uh, entree for Charles Gray in drag, <laughs> among other things. Among <laughs> other things. <laughs> um, yes, thank you. Um, so. Listeners, um, obviously, if you have strong opinions on this film, and I think a lot of Bond fans do, um, please don't at me. I do think this is a good film. I just, it's for me, Clive. If anything, they've bonded it a little too well. Um, I quite like it, but you can have your own opinions. You can at us on Twitter at OddJobPod. Uh, we're also on Facebook, and uh, we're also on your podcast podcast platform of choice uh, apple spotify other ones as well that sit around or you can just visit the website and uh, odd job pod and uh, you can listen to all the, the back issues of the podcast there as well um until then i think uh, it just remains for me to say thank you very much terry thank you gary and thank you graham oh it's always been a pleasure and uh, thank you dear listeners and we will be back with Diamonds Forever. I know you can't wait. I know Graham really can wait for that one. Until then, goodbye. 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 Goodbye.